Thank you, Jonathan. So again, uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Drew. I'm a pastor here as well. We are continuing a series this morning from the letter of Ephesians, uh, and we're going to read from chapter 3, beginning in verses 14, all the way to the end of the chapter in verses 21. And then we're going to take a break over the next couple of weeks, but for today, uh, we'll finish up this first three chapters, the doctrinal part of the, the letter of Ephesians. So read along with me if you have a Bible, or it's printed for you in your worship folder. It's on the screen behind me, or if you're at home, it'll be on your screen as well. So just wherever you want to put eyes on the text, do so as we read here together. As Paul prays for the church and for us, he says, For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of our God stands forever. Let me ask you a question. If you believed, I mean really believed, if you believed deep in your soul that you were loved by God, and if you could sustain that belief from day to day, how would it change your life? That's what this text is about. In his letters, Paul has a certain methodology. He explains gospel doctrine And then he makes application to gospel community, to the church. He proclaims the truth, and then he helps the churches that he's writing to work out that truth in love. And Ephesians is no different. Chapters 1 through 3 are full of gospel doctrine. Chapters 4 through 6 describe in great detail gospel community. But here in these verses, Paul begins to make that transition. He's transitioning, and again, the chapter headings and the verses, they're all arbitrary. They were added later. It's not in the original text. But he is beginning to make this transition. He's been laboring to make known to these people and to us the riches of God's grace. We see that that language again here, the riches of God's glory. Riches, 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 Paul's been talking about for three chapters now. He says there is breadth and length and height and depth to God's love. I mean, isn't that so beautifully stated? I mean, think about even just those words for a minute. There's breadth. And breadth means that there is no limit to God's love. There's nothing outside of his love. It covers the full range of our experiences, good and bad, joy and sorrow. There is no circumstance that is outside of God's love. Length means there's no beginning to his love, and thus there's no end to his love. You can't look back and you, and you, and you say, oh, this is the moment when God's love started. And if that's true, then you can't look forward and say, then his love is going to end. All you can do is look forward and say, no matter what, no matter what tomorrow holds, no matter what scary thing might come, his love will never end. Nothing in the past is outside of his love. Isn't that great news? Nothing in the future, not one moment of the future either. No matter what tomorrow brings, God's love will bring it. Height means there's no equal to his love. 
There is no greater love than God's love. It is unlike anything the world knows, anything the world offers. It goes beyond any other love you might ever experience. It's heavenly depth means there's no bottom to his love. In other words, he never runs out of compassion and mercy. He loves us best when we're at our worst. He never grows weary. His love tank never runs dry. He is inexhaustible, and therefore his love is inexhaustible. It's immeasurable. Jonathan Edwards described it as an ocean without shores or bottom. Dane Ortland said God's love is, 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 is as expansive as God himself is. So the apostles trying to correct our wrong ideas about God in order to lead us to repentance of our small thoughts about God's heart. Because it's one thing to read a text like this, to come to church, to grow up believe, you know, hearing these things, and to say, okay, I know that to be true. It's another thing. It's another thing entirely for that truth to be accessible to you in real time because it's gone from being mere doctrine to something real that sits on your heart. So before Paul launches into all the gospel applications, he stops to pray. And it's a messy prayer. It's a run-on sentence. Ephesians full of this. He's just, he's overwhelmed. It's stream of consciousness, but he's praying. And he's praying specifically that these people, look there in verse 18, that they would comprehend. And then in verse 19, that they would know. That they would comprehend and that they would know the truth in such a way that it would enable them to live a life of obedience. And those two words describe something beyond mere intellectual knowledge. It's a spiritual knowing. It's the ability to possess the truth and to use it for obedience in real time as you go about your life. To be able to connect your heart to the heart of God for you in real time as you struggle through all the things that life brings. But immediately as we think about that, we're confronted with a dilemma, aren't we? Because Paul says that the truth that we need to know is itself beyond knowledge. Do you see that verse 19? Look at it. He wants us, he's praying that we would comprehend and know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Well, how's that work? And that is the tension the text brings out. It's the tension of our lives, isn't it? That we are trying, we're striving to know something that yet still seems to be beyond our ability to know. And that's exactly what you see here. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to break up the text and just follow it where it takes us. Because really what Paul is showing us is, first, what happens if there's a deficiency in your knowledge? What happens if you don't know the love of Christ that is beyond knowledge? The way it causes your life and the, and the foundations of your life to start to crumble. Secondly, how it is you can know. Because he really does, in a subtle way, answer the question of how can you know the love of Christ that is beyond knowledge? How is it that you can know? So what happens if you don't know? How can you know? And then thirdly, what is the change that occurs if you do know? And if you do have a deep sense, a deep understanding, a deep comprehension of the love of Christ that is beyond knowledge. And so that's what we want to talk about this morning. And let's begin with just kind of diagnosing the problem for a minute. What happens if you don't know the love of Christ that is beyond knowing? Because that is the root, and I use that word intentionally, pun intended there, that is the root of every spiritual struggle. And I want to focus on verse 17, where he talks about what he's desiring for these people. He talks about them being rooted and grounded in love. Do you see that? That you might be rooted and grounded in love. And there are two metaphors there, roots and foundations. So rooted is a unique word. It occurs only here and one other time in the entire Bible in Colossians chapter 2, verse 7. And it, it I mean, it's, very, it's kind of straightforward. It refers to a plant that has put down roots. It describes a person with a depth to them. 
Their inner lives are more substantial than what you see externally. They have sufficient depth to draw the nourishment that they need to grow and flourish. Jesus, you might remember, described a kind of spiritual life as a seed that sprang up quickly in his parable of the sowers, the sower, but there was no depth of soil for the plant to dig down into, so the root system of the plant couldn't develop. And so, though the plant grew quickly, when the sun came out, Jesus said, it was scorched and it withered because it had no root. And he's describing a superficiality that can occur in our, in our religious lives. This word here describes the opposite. It describes the subterranean parts of a person's life that support their growth and ultimately produce the fruit they go on to bear. He wants us to be rooted. But not only rooted, you see the word grounded. And the word grounded refers to the laying of a foundation. And it's the first thing you do when you build a house or a building, you put in the foundation. And then everything gets built on top of the foundation. And if the foundation is solid, then the house is solid. But if the foundation begins to slide or crack, you've got really big problems. Really big problems. And you know, the taller the building, the bigger, the deeper the foundation. And so what, what Paul's saying to us here is everybody is rooted. Everybody's grounded in something. But Paul's hope for the Ephesians and for us is that they and that we would be rooted and grounded in God's love. That we would draw our spiritual energy and life from God's love for us. That we would build our lives on the rock of his love and not the sand of our performative identities or spiritual resumes. Let me say to you very, very, very clearly, you were made for God. You are the flower and he is the sun and the rain that you were meant to drink in. And if you are properly rooted in his love, if in your depths, right, in the depths, you are drawing life from who he is and what he's done in Jesus Christ to love you, then it says you'll live with spiritual strength, with power in your inner being. Do you see that? With power in your inner being, that is in the interior of your life, you'll possess the character qualities, you'll possess, you know, these, these things that the spirit does peace and joy and self-control and so forth that you need to get through whatever hard things come at you. Like Paul, who's writing, remember, this letter in prison. He's writing from prison. And all he can talk about is how rich he is. The riches of grace, the riches of his love, the riches of his glory. Paul in prison, but rejoicing, in chains, but rich. Because that's true riches. True spiritual riches. He describes it as Christ dwelling in your heart by faith, verse 17. What an amazing statement. That Jesus himself would come and make a home in your heart. That is the true riches. But here's the thing. If you're rooted and grounded, and everybody's rooted and grounded in something. In fact, everybody's rooted and grounded in some love. And if you're rooted and grounded in anything else, if you're trying to draw life from your relationships or from your career, if you're nest egg is the foundation that you're building your future on. The implication of the text is that you'll live without that inner strength. The inner poise and courage, because only God's love can fortify your heart. Only God's love can reinforce your heart to hold up under the weight and the pressures of life in a fallen world. Otherwise, what will happen to you is what Paul wrote about just before this in verse 13. If you have a Bible, you can look back there. Otherwise, you'll lose heart eventually. That was his concern. The discouragement, despair, anxiety will begin to creep into your life. But if you're brave enough to dig down, 
underneath the surface of whatever that is, of that losing heart, of that losing your courage, of that despair or the anxiety, if you've lost your inner strength, it's because somewhere, in some way, you've stopped drawing your confidence and peace and joy from the love of Jesus. And instead of Christ dwelling in your heart by faith, you've given your heart to something else. And that, that process there, is what the Bible refers to as sin. The first commandment. Do you know what the first commandment is? You shall have no other gods before me. Jesus said the greatest commandment is what? To love God with everything. Love God with your everything. To love him above everything else. And what the reformers understood, and I think what's a good way of thinking about these things, is that every time you break one of the commandments, no matter which one it is, it's because you've already broken the first commandment. Every moral failure is a result of giving your heart to some other love. And if you're ever going to understand why you feel so powerless against your own sin or the external evil that you come up against in the world, you have to contemplate your roots, your foundation. You have to discover the things that have come in the place of Jesus to take up residence in your heart as your ultimate source of happiness and hope and courage and confidence. Because if you're lacking in spiritual power, if you're unable to change, it's a heart problem. And a lot of the time, you have to tear it all down to the foundation and then rebuild. And just, just in my experience, I'm, I'm, I, I had a birthday recently. I'm, I'm sliding towards my 50s now, so I feel like I can start talking like an older man, you know? And so I can say things like, from my experience, and like, there's some credibility even in that statement. But from my experience, there are a number of manifestations of not being rooted and grounded in love. And you see the same psychology in children who grow up with, without the attunement and care that's necessary for their proper development, for emotional development. And the first is the most obvious. The first that I've seen is this, just this pervasively fearful, timid spirit due to a core insecurity that, that people live with. The second... Uh, is a little more misleading. It's this loud, braggadocious attitude that is often masking the same inner insecurity. And the third is just being shut down emotionally, which, you know, looks like strength, but it's a defense mechanism. You turn your heart off, and you become competent and self-sufficient. And so if you want a diagnostic, think through those three things. Are you fundamentally fearful and timid? You just can't get away from all of the the fear and the anxiety and the sense of overwhelmed feelings that you have? Are you loud and showy? Do you suck up all the air in the room every time you're in a room? Or is your heart just shut off from any need? If you're keeping score at home, I fall clearly into the third category here, okay? That's, that's where I am, in case you're wondering about me. But I don't, it's not really about me. This is about you, okay? So you answer that question for yourself. A few more questions before we move on, just as we kind of try to, um, try to really apply this to our lives. Do you live from the depths? Are you invested in becoming a person of sufficient depth? Have you spent time developing the root system of your life? That's the real journey in life, that the journey inward, the journey toward character and personal development. Are you on that journey? Have you invested in that? And are you growing in your ability to, to diagnose the deeper issues of your heart? Because here's the thing, that's where spiritual... Transformation takes place. It's where spiritual battles oftentimes fought. The inner being, verse 16, the inner being, Paul says. This happens in the inner being, and that takes a certain amount of skill. And by the way, it's why we've chosen the CBR journal approach to Bible reading, to take a passage 
And instead of just taking a passage and, and trying to come to the meaning of the passage and think we've accomplished something because we simply understand what it means, instead to take a passage and to think about God and then to use what we've thought about God to diagnose our own unbelief and sin and then to learn in the process of going through the ACTS model to take hold of the gospel and apply it specifically to those areas of sin and unbelief and then to ask the Holy Spirit to change us in concrete ways because we want to read the Bible and engage our hearts. Because the goal is Christ dwelling in your heart by faith. Because that is the mechanism for spiritual transformation. And that's why we read the Bible the way we do around here. Because we want to get to the heart. What have you built your life on? What are the foundations of your life? Secondly, if that's what happens, if you're not properly grounded and rooted and grounded in God's love, well then how can you come to know? How can you come to comprehend and know the love of Christ that is Beyond knowing what Paul writes about here in verses 18 and 19, he says he's praying that you may be, may be strengthened or that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now, do you see the very first thing there as we seek to answer that question is that it's called the love of Christ. The love of God is the love of Christ. That is because the only claim we have on being loved by God is because of what Jesus Christ has done for us to reconcile us to the Father. It is the good news of the gospel. But also, if you want to know the true character of God's love, you have to look to Jesus, because though he was God, he made himself nothing coming from heaven to earth, the king becoming a servant, living a life of perfect obedience to God all the way to the cross where he died. The innocent in the place of the guilty for your sins. Sacrificing himself in an act of holy love for you. And you read the Gospels, and not only do you see the work that he accomplished, but even the kind of person that he was in his attunement and empathy. Excuse me, i got to get a drink. His fierce compassion, his fearless truth-telling, <clears throat> it just jumps off the pages because it is so otherworldly. Other he, listen, he is the friend you're wishing for in every other friendship. <clears throat> his tender heart. His patience, his kindness, his gentleness is what your, what your heart so longs to experience. In Hebrews, it says that he is the exact representation of God, the radiance of God's glory. You know the love that is beyond knowing by first seeing Jesus. We would not know it apart from him. But even then it says, in Paul's praying, he's saying that you have to have strength, <clears throat> that there's a strength that has to come into your life so that you can comprehend just the, the, the way truly God does love us. You can't know it on your own. In other words, it has to be made known to you. And that's intimidating. At least it's, he says you'll never know the true breadth and length and height and depth of it on your own. It's just too much. It's too expansive. It's too unlike any other love you've ever encountered, which is why I love the words of the old hymn so much. We're not, we're not going to sing it this morning, but it's very fitting, and, and uh, it just blows me away. It's some of the most beautiful language, I think in our hymnody where it says, could we with ink the ocean fill and were the sky of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man ascribed by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole that stretched from sky to sky. You see what this, the, hymn, the hymnist is doing there? He's trying to say, I don't even have, like words fail me to describe the expansiveness, the magnitude of the way that God truly loves us. It's beyond knowing. We, even if we drain the entire world dry, 
and wrote on a scroll from sky to sky, I wouldn't even become close to you capturing the fullness of the love that God has for us. So let me say this another way. It takes faith to know this love. It's beyond mere knowing. You have to believe to know. And that's the dilemma. That's the problem. All the other loves that you may have known, they only go so far. Right? You've had this experience, haven't you? Even the best loves, even the best relationships, eventually they hit a limit. They can't go any further. Eventually, you know, you get to the bottom and you run dry. There's, there's, you know, there's something that gets in the way because we're finite creatures. Our love is finite, but God's love is infinite. There's no start to it. There's no end. There's no limit. There's no length that can't endure. It's so unlike the experience of human love that you will have wrong ideas about God's love unless he strengthens you to comprehend with the rest of the saints the breadth and length and height and depth of it. You'll think, yeah, God loves me. But there's got to be some limit at some point. At some point, I'm going to do something, you know, he'll get tired of me. He'll give up on me. I'll blow it so bad that he'll be done with me. But what Paul is saying here is, that's not true. But you have to have faith to comprehend it, to grab onto it against how you feel, right? That's the skill of faith, to be able to grab onto the truth of it against how you feel. You need faith. problem is that faith comes from God, which is why, listen, which is why Paul is praying. This is a prayer. He's praying For the Ephesians, he's praying them and us into the faith to know God's love. Look at what he says. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, that according to the riches of his glory, he might grant to you strength to comprehend and to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. So Paul praying here shows us that you pray for spiritual growth, but it also shows us how to pray for spiritual growth. Let's just talk about each of those before we move on towards the end. When we think of Paul... We think of his courage, we think of his preaching, we think of his evangelism, his church planting, ninja skills. We don't think of Paul praying. But what if it was his praying and not any of those other things that launched and sustained the early Christian movement? Have you ever thought about that? If what your kids need the most, parents... If what they need the most is to to be whole, is to grasp and know God's love for them, not your love for them, God's love for them. And if your love, as great as it might be, if your love can't do that, and if your teaching can't do that, and if your lectures can't do that, and and if the Christian education or the homeschool curriculum that you've chosen or any Bible curriculum you might find can't do that, if it takes a supernatural work of God's spirit in their heart to do that, then your number one strategy is what? Prayer. And so talk to your kids about Jesus and pray for them. Bring them to worship on Sunday and pray for them. Send them to those classes over there and pray for them and pray for the teachers over there. Because prayer, Paul's showing us that prayer is the way that we work the truth of the gospel into the hearts of other people. And when you pray, Pray like Paul did here in the, for the Ephesians. Uh, most of my prayers, if I were honest with you, I thought about this this week. Most of my prayers uh, sound something like this. God, help me do better at fill in the blank. Anybody else? God, if you just help me do a little bit better at this. 
But that's somewhat missing the point because it does not go deep enough. The root issue, Paul says, is whether or not I'm grasping and knowing God's love for me. So that should be the subject of my prayers too. Not just to say, help me behave better, but to pray things like, help me believe better. Give me greater faith. Give me a greater understanding of the breadth and length and height and depth of your love for me. Show me where I'm living in unbelief. Show me where I've built my foundation on lesser loves. Grant me repentance and faith to turn away from those lesser loves and instead to build my life on the love of Christ for me. That's the kind of praying that pushes the people you love forward spiritually. It's the kind of praying that pushes you forward spiritually. And so the the key to spiritual growth is to grasp and know the love of Christ, which is beyond knowing. And it takes strength, but it's not a strength that comes from you. It's a work that God must do. So we pray, like Paul's praying here. And then third, as we pray, we can, we get a glimpse of hope. We get a glimpse of what God's power can actually accomplish here. We see the change that can occur If, in fact, we do come, or in the degree to which we come, to know, comprehend and know the love of Christ that is beyond knowing. Paul describes it, verse 19 there, as being filled with all the fullness of God. So you see the argument he's making? He says, I want you to know, you may have strength to comprehend the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Again, what an amazing statement. We probably should just stop and only you know, have an entire 30-minute sermon just on that statement. But what does it mean? And I honestly don't know that I know what it means. And so I, I read every book I could find in my, in my office this week that would tell me what it means. And quite honestly, I was underwhelmed by every explanation I read. And so I'm afraid that you will probably be terribly underwhelmed by my attempt to explain it to you. And maybe that's part of the point. But here goes. Paul's saying something like this, there is a fullness to God. You know that, right? The God is not empty and needing to be filled. He is not needy. The ancient gods, they derive their power from the adoration of their worshipers. Not so with the God of the Bible. He is overflowing with life and love and generosity and power. C.S. Lewis described it as a great fountain of energy and beauty spurting up at the very center of reality. In Screwtape Letters, Lewis went on to reflect how it's the nature of evil. It's the nature of evil to suck in, to be empty and needing to be filled. But God is the opposite. He is full and overflows. And here's what I think Paul's saying here. To the degree that you do not comprehend and know God's love, you will be empty in the inner parts of your life. And then you'll go about in everything you do seeking to be filled. Even in your loving, you will be using people more than loving them. You'd be trying to fill up that emptiness inside with their love. But to the degree that through the direct work of the Holy Spirit, you are able to comprehend and know God's love for you, then the fullness, the very fullness of God will begin to fill you too. Holy cow. Wait. What? And I don't even know except to say instead... If you're in that first category person I described, instead of anxiety and constantly feeling overwhelmed, more and more you will be able, not perfectly because not until you get to heaven, but more and more you'll be able to calm and quiet your soul in his sufficiency and relax into your own limitations. That'll be the journey of growth that you're on. And if you're in that second group, instead of proudfully boasting and taking up all all the air in every room you enter, you can follow him into nothingness, into simple faithfulness. 
where you don't have to do something great. You don't have to be great. All you got to do is be faithful, even if you never get noticed for it. And if you're like me in that third category, instead of shutting down your heart to need, you're on this journey of being able to keep yourself open to heartbreak because there is a love that will never fail. Like God, you will begin to overflow with joy, with peace, with love and power. Instead of your insides being influenced by whatever's going on outside, it can be the other way around. This is the amazing thing. And this is, by the way, if you're in a struggling marriage, if you're in a struggling relationship, this is the key to working on that is to become this kind of person where actually your insides, there's such a power at work on the insides of your life that it begins to overflow and influence that relationship, influence the situations that you're in. When you're in the storm, you don't become stormy. It's the other way around. When you're in the storm, the peace and joy and steadfastness that you experience internally can overflow and actually begin to calm the storm. The way Jesus did in the boat on the sea that day, your inside, because it's such a powerful work of the Spirit, can begin to impact the outside. I don't think that's overstating what Paul's saying here. Because look at the very next thought. He goes right into doxology at the end of verse 19. Into verse 20. Now... In other words, because, because of that fullness of God being full in you now, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power at work within us. Holy, wow. Seriously. That's like one of the most encouraging verses in the whole Bible. And that verse encourages us towards hope for big things. I mean, the language is really too, is difficult to convey. There's an adjective the adjective in the Greek is panta, and that word means all, everything, every single potentiality. God is able. He possesses the power to do panta, everything, all things, no exceptions, right? Nothing is too difficult for God, and that's enough, but there's more, as Jonathan said, because what Paul does is Paul takes it one step further. He attaches a preposition to that word, and the preposition is hyper, which means beyond, which means more than. So God, according to Paul here, is not just able to do all things. He's able to do more than all things. I mean, what's more than all things? His power is so great that he is not just able to do all things. He's able to do more than all things. His power is so great it goes beyond all things to things so big, to things so expansive, to things so just crazy and out there that not only do you not know to ask for them, you can't even imagine them as possibilities. And I hope you live with the courage to ask God for really big things. I do, he wants you to, but here's the truth. Your biggest prayers, your grandest hopes are small in comparison to the big things God is capable of as and is, in fact, doing in his rescuing you from your sins, which is just a small part of his making all things new. Isn't that amazing? But here's the thing. Do you see the connection? It says God's working in this way. Beyond all we know to ask or can even imagine in our small brains the way God is working is according, verse 20, to the power already at work within us. <laughs> in other words, the same power 
by which God does hyperpanta, beyond and above all we can even imagine, that power is at work within you to the degree to which you're comprehending and knowing his love, filling you with his own fullness to glorify himself throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. And so all we can do is sing along with the psalmist. I love this old, or with the hymnist, I love this old J. Hart hymn in Gatsby's hymnal. He says, how wondrous are the works of God displayed through all the world abroad, immensely great, immensely small, yet one strange work exceeds them all. He says, he formed the sun, fair fount of light, the moon and stars to rule the night, but night and stars and moon and sun are little works compared with one. He rolled the seas and skies, excuse me, he rolled the seas and and spread the skies, made valleys sink and mountains rise, the meadows clothed with native green and bade the rivers glide between. But what are skies and seas or hills, or vernant vales, or gliding rills, to wonders man was born to prove the wonders of redeeming love. Tis highest heaven, or excuse me, the highest heaven are short of this. Tis deeper than the vast abyss. Tis more than thought can e'er conceive, or hope expect, or faith believe. Do you know the love of God for you that is beyond knowing because God has worked in your heart by faith to bring you to that knowledge. The highest heavens are short of it. It's deeper than the vast abyss. It's more than thought can conceive or hope expect or faith believe. And yet we pray as we come to this table, if you would pray with me, Lord, we pray. We believe, but help our unbelief. In these moments of quiet, come and work in our hearts because we're confronted in this text with that reality that unless you come and do a work in us, our hearts will remain hard to these truths, but if you come, you can make them soft to bear the fruit that will glorify you. And so come and work in us now, we pray, as we gather around this table in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Build your life upon his love. Uh, There's a new movie, a new Ryan Reynolds movie out on Netflix called um, The Adam Project. You may have seen it. I promise no spoiler alerts. But there's a a scene in that movie where this boy who's grown up uh, not knowing his father's love as as a boy is meant to know his father's love. He has this encounter with his father, this this, uh, unique kind of unexpected encounter with his father where, where he gets to hear the words from his dad that he's wanted to hear his whole life. And his dad just keeps saying, you're my son. I love you, I'm proud of you, you're my son. And at first, he's very standoffish. He acts like it's not a big deal. He's like, Dad, I know, don't worry about it. But but you can just watch as his father repeats over and over again, you're my son, I love you, you're my son, I'm proud of you. He just begins to crumble. (laughs) Until his heart finally just, I think there's a recognition of, in his own heart, he somehow gets past the hard-heartedness and the disappointment and embraces the truth of his father's love for him. I feel like that's what the Lord's been doing for us this morning is just to say over and over again, is the Father, does the Father truly love us? He does, and he's over and over again saying that to us this morning, and even in this benediction, he does not send us now 
uh, to go out to kind of figure this out on our own. He, he sends us now in his love, promising that he will go before us and he will come behind us. And he will, and everything that happens to us will be covered by his love and everything that we seek to do will be empowered by his love in us. That's what these words mean. So receive yet again this promise of his love for you as he sends you full as he is full uh, to do works of his kingdom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you. Go in his peace.